Legends once told of a podcast lost now in the sea of time. These ancient recordings spoke of games and the arcane art of HTML5. Today, Jeff Blair and Matt Hackett bring these words back to life. It is lost cast, and may your ears receive it. Welcome to Lost Cast 117. I'm Matt. And I'm Jeff. I can already kind of feel what the name of this podcast is likely going to be, uh, because we've got a really sleepy Jeff on our hands today. Yes. <laughs> it might be Napcast, perhaps. <laughs> I'll, I'm going to try and stay awake through the whole thing. I, I find our schedules pretty interesting because uh, they kind of are all over the map, you know? I, it would seem to me that people on their own schedule, when left to their own devices, you know, you might have a consistent schedule but like and some people probably do as indies or people who work from home all the time you know but uh i think both of us they're all over the map it's crazy yeah uh i only got like three hours of sleep last night so like i'm (laughs) (laughs) i'm kind of a zombie you were saying that you were up till 5 a.m and then you slept some and woke back up at 8 (laughs) a.m Right, yeah. Like, that's a weird schedule. And I always hated that when, uh, let's say you've got, like, a not a 9 to 5 necessarily, but just a job where, you know, you need to show up sometime in the a.m., <laughs> you know, and, like, when <laughs> you're up till noon. 5. Yeah, when you're up till 5 a.m., you're like, ah, oh, crap. It's always in the back of your mind that you're going to, you know, have to deal with all that <laughs> the next day. Oh, man, there was this one time I, uh, I had to fly up from Los Angeles, actually Santa Monica, where you almost oh, yeah. live it's now right near me i can see it from the pier yeah i was working at yahoo <laughs> in santa monica and i would routinely fly uh from santa monica to uh sunnyvale to the yahoo headquarters for like a day trip yeah to meet and do weather random you know uh expense wasting things <laughs> <laughs> gotta spend that yahoo money man <laughs> that's right <laughs> i remember the the only event i went to on, on yahoo's dime was an event apart and it was that's like you was fancy. It's like the the fancy event. It was so expensive, and I stayed at the hotel that the the conference was at, and it was like it was the kind of thing I would never have bought for myself. No, but because Yahoo was paying for it, I'm like, sweet, I'll get room service. It's wonderful. It was uh, <laughs> sort of a side tangent, but like it was interesting to watch Yahoo as a company. Like when I joined, uh, it was still kind of in like the heyday of money spending. <laughs> And so, like, my first six months to a year there was, like, you know, we go out for sushi lunches, and Mm. I was, like, flying up to Sunnyvale every other month, or actually every month, probably every other other two weeks. Wow, you were flying a lot. I was, yeah. uh, Crazy. Well, because the weird situation was is that I worked on the games team, and the games team, all of the engineers were in Sunnyvale, except for me. Right, yeah. (laughs) I was the only engineer that was in, uh, in Santa Monica. You've kind of always been a weirdo. Yeah. Why can't you be normal, Jeff? <laughs> Why can't you even your name spelling? <laughs> can't be different. Uh, <laughs> and so I would go up to meet with them routinely. Nice. But uh, on this one particular occasion, I had to fly out at seven a.m. and I Ugh. couldn't sleep until like six a.m. Uh, and no. uh, <laughs> I almost missed my flight. I bet that's and, too early to fly. It should be illegal to fly planes so early. (laughs) (laughs) They get shot out of the air. (laughs) We should make an ordinance. (laughs) Violent legislation was passed. The Air Force will, as you know, (laughs) the uh, executive order to shoot down any planes before 7 a.m. Oh, I wonder if our listeners hate it or if they love it when we have tangents before we've even done intros and stuff. (laughs) Intro tangent. That's right. Um, 
Hey, thanks a lot for listening, uh, especially last week, Lost Cast 116, Complex City. Pun time. You gotta love those puns. Uh, some really great feedback, especially from Cheers Philip and Anthony. And man, go look at that forum thread. I will put a link to it in the show notes. What a great conversation. I just love I just love the chatter about, about game development design and uh, and businesses and <clears throat> you know all that good stuff. Such yeah. good feedback. How bad you are at naming Lost Casts. <laughs> You know what? It's a lose-lose situation. No matter what the name is, it's going to be bad. Someone's going to hate it. It's not descriptive enough. <laughs> I don't feel like it's clever or creative enough. It's uh, <laughs> it's a defeating, uh, sad state of, of things. But anyway, if you ever have a good idea for a title, Jeff, <laughs> I'm going to help a brother out. <laughs> I'm going to start naming them, and they're going to be like these esoteric, pretentious, one-word titles. <laughs> well, what, what would be? Uh, what was? What would complexity be? The Art of Complexity Not by even Je- like, Jeffrey Blair. <laughs> it wouldn't even be that descriptive. It would be something like, you know... One word. Meadow. <laughs> meadow? Meadow. What does that have to do with anything? Yeah, that's a thinker. And you're like, no, think about it. It's it really about relates. the tranquility of game design. Like you're lying in a meadow. Close your eyes and think <laughs> about your past. This is a... <laughs> A weird cast. <laughs> I think we're both a little loopy, especially you. I'm yeah, blaming you. Yeah. Anyways, so uh, yeah. Today we're going to be talking about uh, Humble Bundle, which I can't believe we didn't talk about that because our game was in not a bundle proper. And um, the good news is that most people don't know the difference, so that that kind of helps us um, <laughs> marketing wise. Uh, we're going to talk about working on the Wizards Lizard a little bit. We're going to talk a little bit about um, some new streaming services and. Uh, game dev streaming in general and then we have time um although you know how it goes <laughs> this will be the no this illusions. will be 118 probably but we're going to talk a little bit about pre-production as well which is something that we've been in for better or worse for a couple months now and it feels weird so uh we want to discuss that but uh first let's jump right into humble bundle we were part of uh last week's humble roguelikes bundle 2 pretty yes. exciting and it was a weekly bundle which is yep. a little bit different than the standard bundle but I think it's still pretty cool. Yeah. It uh, is really awesome. And uh, I think our bundle did pretty well. I did a bunch of research. So uh, when they initially approached us, you know, we obviously were very excited to do it. Yep. And uh, <clears throat> um, being the businessman is my job. <laughs> I went, time. Sorry, yeah, business time. I put on my <laughs> business hat. That's right. My business socks. And then uh, I, I dug into some of the data on the past Humble Bundle, weekly bundles, rather. Yeah. And, uh, and tried to kind of get a feel for uh, how much money we could make. Ooh. It's interesting because, you know, in general, we've been uh, kind of averse to bundles. We've actually been approached by many different... All of, yeah, all all of, of the them? Bundles, yes. <laughs> Anyone with a bundle has reached out to us already. But, uh, I mean, here's the thing. Okay, so you've got a game on Steam that is selling. I mean, it may not it might not be selling like hotcakes, but it's, you know, people are buying it for 15 or $10 or whatever, right? Who wouldn't want to have a storefront and sell it for whatever and pocket a percentage of that? Like, that's an easy sell. Of course you can do that, right? right? You need to, that's the thing. You need to come with more <laughs> value than just, hey, I can give you pennies for your game. Like, what is the value add for us there? Right, yeah. And that's what Humble Bundle has, right? They've got this massive audience and they've got a lot of, uh, you know, name brand recognition, that kind of thing. It's interesting, too, because, and I'm sure that Humble Bundle falls into this category, but... Uh, a lot of people buy these humble bundles or bundled games, rather, and then right. they resell the Steam keys later. Yeah. <laughs> ah, so, curse you. 
But uh, it makes a lot of sense, right? Yeah, it does. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know that's necessarily a bad thing, I guess. You know, from our perspective, we made the same amount of money. Yeah. Perhaps. So we tried to get into a bundle proper. Those are the ones where they make, you know, a million or, or several million dollars. And uh, the weekly bundles, so, so you did some research. And so we have these numbers we come up with called this, the happy numbers and the unhappy numbers. <laughs> and so you, you had a range. It's interesting, though. I like the idea of having uh, happy and unhappy numbers. You, you should know. always have those. You know, you should know what your ballparks are, what your, you know, what would put a smile on your face and what what number you would hit and you'd be like oh that's not you know like you need to know that and most people i think especially when jumping into uh business ventures they're like oh what's a five grand <laughs> just pull the number out of the clouds you know yeah i don't think we really had that uh, at the awl launch no we didn't we, uh well we talked about that here in the podcast it was we had the kind of uh the barometer set by other indies who were nice enough to share their numbers and there was that one was it uh, i want to say Ob, Ob. yeah, yeah. And it was like, we kind of used that. You know, we were like, we don't have much other data, so let's go with this. But the, the Humble Weekly Bundles, there's a bundle every week. So we had a lot of data to go by, right? So what were your unhappy and happy numbers? So about the <laughs> minimum, you know, based on the data that I had available to me, yeah, uh, the minimum that a weekly bundle makes is about 125 to 150. Okay. K. Yes. $150,000 uh, a ballpark. Right. Right. So that was kind of my like baseline. If our bundle gets that, and and so obviously like we don't even have our final numbers yet from Humble, be, Humble because the sale just ended like earlier or late last week. Yep. Um. So we won't even actually know what our split is. I mean, we have a generalized idea of how much split we're gonna make. Uh. Yeah. Because they tell us like you know we take X percent and you know blah blah blah. But there's also other factors like. You know, people can choose to give more to charity and less to developers or vice versa. So there's also the games where, you know, you only get this if you beat the average, whatever that, you know, variable number happens to be. Or they'll do, say, you get these two games if you pay $8 or more because they've got this bar, you know, where they, they want to hit a certain dollar amount. And I would imagine that, like, I don't know how it works in the, in the internals. Maybe you do. But I would think that, you know, those games where they're behind that kind of lock, they might get a bigger piece or something. No, that's not how it works. I mean, unless oh. the user specifically allocates more money to that developer. So are the are the bundle games that are locked, those get the same share as everybody else? Yes. Okay, so it's really just a, like a marketing kind of uh, psychological thing, right? I think... Okay. I mean, it's, you know, it's weird because you can look at it a couple ways. Like, on, on one hand, people that bought at a very low amount of money that didn't get, say, in our bundle, Heavy Bullets, which right. was the $8 tier game. Yeah. I think that that developer would still get a portion of the sales from yeah. those bundles that, you know, didn't include their game. Like, they're still included, and they might have been one of the things that pulled, say, that person who contributed in in the first place, right? They showed up like, oh, I've been looking at that game. They show up and they're like, oh, okay, it's behind this dollar amount. I don't have that much money yet. So they end up buying the bundle. So that game did contribute to the overall, <clears throat> pardon me, <laughs> horsey over here. <laughs> it contributed to the whole overall experience, even though the player didn't actually buy and get their game, right? So that's kind of strange. And a little bit of this is like kind of tiger hattery on our part because, <laughs> you know, I only have a very uh, rough idea of how the splits are actually going to work out. Yeah. Um, but essentially, it's like the money they take in minus fees, minus charity, 
uh, split between all the developers in the bundle. You know, so we're okay. getting like a, a some slice of some percentage. I remember this was probably a couple of years ago at this point. There was someone who wanted to license one of our games and they wanted to do the rev share bits, which at that time we were way more into just, just pay us the money. <laughs> just give us money for a non-exclusive license, right? And they had this this scheme where they were like, you get 60% of 50% of a balloon number which changes based on the blah, blah, blah. And we were like, we couldn't even... <laughs> right. We asked them about it. We couldn't even get them to explicitly define what it was we would be getting paid. <laughs> like a percentage of, of a variable number of a percentage. And we're like, no. <laughs> no, no deal. Pass. <laughs> yeah. Pass on that. Yeah. But I, I feel like Humble, um, it doesn't necessarily have that, but it is a number that's... Um, ambiguous right it's hard to determine like like there's no nothing hard where it's like okay the bundle made you know a quarter million dollars and you get five percent of that period that's just how it works like there's no there's nothing that constant right right well it's you know basically i can kind of estimate how much we're going to make assuming that the default split uh was taken by every customer which is not true obviously right yeah but assuming that on average the default split is what it is. We have a reasonable idea of what we're going to make. And I'm not going to say necessarily what the humble percentages are because I don't know if that's, you know, we, <laughs> information I'm allowed to share. We have to err on the side of uh, don't tell anyone in the world who might want to know the stuff that you've agreed not to disclose. <laughs> right. <laughs> we're already, you know, as we're as open as we can be, uh, we already kind of get too close to that line, probably on average. So, But, uh what we can say though is that you know on the low end the weekly bundles make about 150 and on the top end they make you know over a million million and a half two million sometimes but those wow. are the edge cases what did ours make uh i think ours ended at 225,000 it sounds about right where it's like uh kind of how a wizard lizard sold it wasn't you know bottom of the barrel it, it was kind of mid-range right yeah and uh not expected one of the higher ends uh was the first roguelike bundle which made like 500k. Ah. But that had like, you know, Binding of Isaac and Teleglitch and Dungeons of Dreadmore and a lot of other very <laughs> much more well-known and popular roguelike games. So, oh, man. Considering uh, all that, I, I don't think we did a half bad. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty happy with that. We did uh, half of the first roguelike bundle. So, so that was kind right. of my like, you know, uh, 100,000 would have been like, I'm not so happy with that. That's your unhappy number. My and your unhappy. happy number was like 200K or higher or something, right? Pretty much, yeah. So you're happy. And then like happy Jeff. 300K or plus, I would have been, you know, ecstatic. Yeah. That's like, you know, stupid grin face. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. So that'll be interesting. It'll see, I will see how much we get and uh, see how much that extends our runway and we can continue uh, in pre-production forever and never relaunch another game. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to ride the sails of this one game into the sunset. I think it's interesting. We were talking about this. How, like, how did we not tell our podcast listeners about the humble bundle? Right? I just we just get distracted with other things, and it's very much something that just kind of happens. You know, they email you like, <clears throat> "You want to be in this?" and you're like, "Sure." And especially with uh, humble, if your game's already in there, you don't have to do anything. They were uh, asking us for stuff that they needed. You know, like built of the game or whatnot. And it's like you've already got it. Right. Like, like done. You know, and uh, the promotion stuff too. Like, there's nothing much <laughs> we can do to put a dent in that because Humble's audience is so much more massive than our own. So, like, you know, we can tweet about it and stuff. But the reality is that they are the ones who bring the people. Right. They drive the traffic. 
Yeah, and we were talking to like most of our listeners. Uh, like we've talked about this before. How do you listen to like fifty episodes about a wizard's lizard and not want to uh, check it out? And especially since it's been on sale, like you probably could have gotten it for two or three bucks at this point, uh, even without the the bundle. So I don't know. A lot of our listeners uh, do. We do apologize if if you were like, "Hey, I missed it. How could you guys not tell me about that?" But uh, it slipped our mind, and uh, we were kind of thinking that like I don't know. Most of y'all probably already got it. It's uh, well, I think is one of the things like the Tuesday podcast we did right before it launched. We weren't really able to say anything. Oh, know. we weren't allowed, really. Uh, I don't think. I mean, I don't. I haven't noticed anyone else like talking about how their right. games are going to be in an upcoming bundle. It's usually just, hey, here's a yeah. bundle on launch day, and everyone starts talking about it immediately. Yeah, so I didn't know if it was something we should or could or, you know. Yeah, that whatever. was probably part of it. We're like, eh, I don't know. <laughs> So Maybe then it not. launched on a Thursday, and then by the time the next Tuesday came around, you know, it was almost over, and we kind of just forgot to talk about it. Yeah, and I feel kind of bad sometimes, you know, telling listeners to, like, hey, there's this time window, especially if it's tight, like, you got three more days, and like, yeah, we got a lot of listeners who listen right away, and that's awesome and everything, but I do know that, you know, the podcast is growing, a lot of new listeners coming in, and so people are listening to our, you know, the archive a lot, right? And so you're listening, and someone's really driving home right now. <laughs> It's like it has happened a year ago. Do it right now. Uh, but there's going to be some of that anyway. Overall, I think it was a good experience. You know, I, we've been, like I said, a little bit of a bundle averse just because we didn't really think that it would be worth it for us. You know, we d- didn't think that... Well, we thought that the game had more life in it uh, before we started putting it on the auction block, essentially. Right. Um, but we actually saw some pretty great uh, numbers with Humble. Um, I think one thing is that um, this week... You know, that week of Humble sales will probably be at least on par, if not higher, I hope, than (laughs) some of our week-long Steam sales. That'd be great. So you can, you know, kind of look at it that way, like, for a given promotion, the Humble deal will hopefully, by my estimations, end up being, you know, decently lucrative for us. It's funny because when you picture the tail of this game, right, the long tail, it's going to look a lot like a lizard tail, a lot like Raga's tail, because it's going to be this, you know, slow, like, bleh, it just dips down, right? But it'll have these little spikes. Here's a steam sale, here's a humble bundle, and that's what Raga's got on his tail. Oh, it's so cute. It was intentional. We planned it all along. <laughs> Let's work the sales of the game into the main character's design. What? Sounds like the most solid marketing plan ever. Yes, that is, that is brilliant. No. <laughs> Uh, so we've seen a lot of new players come in too. Like our uh, the people who own it on Steam is like doubled, right? Triple, More than probably, doubled. Yeah. Wow. And uh, with that, it's I'm really happy to see some new blood and some new fresh forum meat. threads. Yeah, fresh meat. New people to come in and be really excited and get deeply disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. I thought it was going to be Binding of Isaac with the lizard, but it's actually like a worst designed game. Oh man! Yeah, you got it. You're that's so, that's it. You're so self-deprecating today. <laughs> I am. I don't know why. I think I. You know those days when you wake up and you had a bad dream, and you just feel really defeated. I had one of those. I think I, I have a lot of self <laughs> self-loathing today. <laughs> there's actually not that much disappointment. I think the you know the biggest thing is there's just still some some issues that people run into like bug wise. Yeah, I think too. Uh, I was kind of curious after the bundle because I knew that the game was going to be exposed to a lot of a lot of new players, you know. So I wanted to do some Google searches and stuff, and I found like um, I found uh, a lot of stuff I hadn't seen before. I found a podcast where they talked really briefly about it, and they hated it. 
And then I found a uh, an article someone wrote where, and this was kind of fun actually. The person starts off with, "I like a wizard's lizard," right? That's that's nice to see. But then here's three pages of complaints <laughs> and criticisms, and like I, I do like that. The constructive criticism is great. It helps us inform you know updates to the game, and it'll help us with future games. And that's fantastic. But there is a toll. There's like this uh, this currency that you have, and it's kind of your confidence or just your motivation or something. And I think that it's. You, you have to spend some of that when you receive criticism. You know, some of that gets spent whether you want it to or not. You might have a large bank. You might have a lot of confidence. You could hear criticism all day and you're like, I'm still okay. I still got this, right? You know, but you will be spending some of that mental energy, I think. Sure. Although, I uh, maybe, maybe my skin's just not thick enough yet. <laughs> <laughs> I think in Who particular that, that one you're talking about. Um, That's the article I sent you, right? Yeah, the article you sent me. We yeah, should yeah. put it in the show notes because it's actually really interesting. Uh, it's really a, insightful stuff. And I, like someone took the time, someone cared enough, and they explicitly said, like, it's not that I don't like the game, it's just that there's a lot of problems with it, which is kind of how we feel, right? Sure. And like, but they said, you know, I played it for 20 hours, I enjoyed myself, and I think you should pick it up if you're interested in this kind of a game. Right. So, right there, like, that's a pretty ringing endorsement. You know, he said, I yeah. feel like I got my money's worth, I enjoyed myself, it's fun. And he liked the game enough that he was willing to write, you know, this wall of text about all the intricacies yes. of the design. Yeah. And 20 hours, that's a win. I don't care what game it is. I could even buy a $60 AAA game, you know, and if I sunk 20 hours into it, I would feel, you know, like that was a good purchase. Right. Right. Because if it's, if I don't like it, there's no way I'm going to spend that amount of time with it. I might spend three hours with something I don't necessarily enjoy. <laughs> just trying to, you know, get to that, like, I just haven't found what I like yet. Or I'm trying to find this thing I heard about that sounded really cool or whatever, you know. But past that point, you're going to be like, you know what, this game's just not for me. Whatever it is that people found that they like about it, I have not been able to find it, you know, and you kind of give up. Right. But 20 hours is well past that. Like, I think that's a huge win. I think it's easy. Uh, this day and age with like you know games like isaac and, and other games where people are putting like hundreds of hours into these games 500 hours is the most i've seen on awl well that's just crazy i mean that's awesome I but i mean it's easy to use that as your benchmark you know right whereas you know if you're buying a game for 10 to 15 bucks getting 20 hours uh, of enjoyment out of it is more than worthwhile i think yeah i definitely agree good uh, stuff it's interesting. I think one of the other reasons that we were sort of hesitant to do a bundle, too, is we knew that uh, the bundle would mean a lot more people. Yes. Um, and so that's definitely been something that, that we've seen occurring, you know, like a lot more people coming into the forum, reporting bugs, having issues, talking about things they like to see in the game. And so that has a cost, like a business cost, right? Because you it and does. I have to spend time talking and responding and <laughs> bug fixing and whatever else. There was this Monday, I think, where uh, we were pinging each other, and it was we were both didn't even realize we didn't explicitly talked about it yet, but we were both talking about uh, Wizards Lizard stuff, and we hadn't really been focused on that for quite some time. So there was like you know I think we both saw a need you know there's more new people coming in, and there's uh, you know more issues b being surfaced with the game, and there's like you know old stuff we've been meaning to get done resurfaced, and now we've got this uh, like with new blood comes new energy for us as well, you know. Right, yeah. And so we've both been more motivated to go in and fix those, you know, long uh, lingering issues or like here's some content I've been meaning to add and that kind of stuff. So we've been pretty busy uh, adding and uh, fixing AWL. Yep. So we're probably going to do a, a release this week with nice. uh, some various bug fixes, fix some crash issues, fix some just kind of minor inconveniences, kind of quality of life fixes. 
This is kind of interesting. It seems like most crashes come from the view side, the visual stuff, the rendering, which has kind of uh, been my domain, right? And the main thing is basically uh, null reference, right? That's Where it's like, it say, JavaScript, right? <laughs> this view, like here, here's the most common scenario, I think, is, is these crashes we're finding. We found like a handful of these. It'll be like this view wants to do something, say like, you know, oh, I want my particle emitter to emit or I want, you know... Um, uh, if it, especially if it's a doll, like I want my you know head to show some certain um, animation or something, and because of the way the game's working in a certain way, that view doesn't exist yet, or maybe it was deleted by something else, you know? Well, yeah, the most common scenario is that there's like a timer involved. So typically right. <laughs> with the view, there's like, you know, something happens like, okay, the player takes damage, so I want to show... You know, for 500 milliseconds, the player is red. And then after 500 milliseconds, I want to change him back to not red. Right. Yes. And so in the case of this crash with uh, exiting the game, that's what was happening. Yeah. Players had found that, like, if you get hit by a spike trap, or really if you take any damage right as you're about to exit, uh, it will cause the game to crash. Because what happens is uh, you get hit and the view for Raga says, okay, I'm going to turn myself red for 500 milliseconds. And you have this 500 millisecond window where if you exit the game, the if you exit the room, sorry, not the game, if you exit the room, that room will shut down. That simulation of the room will shut down and the next one will spawn up. But yeah. that view uh, that was like fronting the Raga entity in the game uh, will still have this timer going. And so at the end of 500 milliseconds, it'll say, great, I'm done. Now I need to like access some property of the you know simulation model. Exactly. Uh, yeah. And it won't exist anymore because that room got destroyed. Yeah, and every time it happens, I'm like, Matt! Because usually it's like, you know, I probably wrote it and I just needed to wrap around like, you know, if thing, then operate on thing. That's it. That's the fix. You know, it's <laughs> simple. Like, I really feel like, like, come on, Matt, amateur hour over here. Yeah, what are we I, doing? I can understand, though, why it's such an issue. I mean, it's it's hard uh, in that scenario to uh, to have to write, you know, like, to write, you know, to, to guard every statement you write with, like, does this thing exist? Does this thing exist? Does this thing exist? Yeah, it gets old. Yeah. <laughs> Tiring, but uh, what are you going to do? <laughs> what are you going to do? I think that uh, it could just be, you know, like, we needed a better, like, a cleaner system for when, like, a view that is fronting some kind of game object, when that game yeah. object gets destroyed, you know, that view should get an event and that event should just like shut down all timers and say like, you're done. Just go away. Don't run your timers anymore. I don't care. <laughs> just, just don't. I want to see method names called those things, right? You can say like this dot don't care. <laughs> don't. Execute. I just, I just don't. Just stop. This dot just don't. Just don't. <laughs> no more. <laughs> I like that. Yes. Anyways, there are us that are naming actually useful things. <laughs> but it's like the problem is that like it's just so ungraceful the way that our game handles it where like such a minor thing, right? It's like, okay, like in the grand scheme of the game, that shouldn't cause any kind of problem. Like, okay, so the view isn't there anymore or like the thing that the view wants isn't there anymore. Yeah. You don't, that doesn't need to change anything about the game, but yet it causes this JavaScript fatal error and the whole thing just kind of halts. You were talking about this a while ago, probably on the podcast. You were saying that, like, um, you know, really elegant software is clean and simple and looks beautiful and blah, blah, blah. It's well organized, you know. But battle-hardened software looks like a mess. It looks like it's got Band-Aids everywhere, and here's a patch to fix this, and here's just, like, it's just not as elegant and clean 
uh, but it's way more robust, right? Right. And that's kind of where, you know, Wizard's Lizard is at, where it's like, it's not the cleanest thing. There are giant files. There are just like, why is this if here? Like, why do you guys do it this way? And the vast majority of the time, I mean, sometimes it's because we're dumb or because we didn't plan ahead enough or whatever. But a lot of the times it's, it's like robustification, you know? Like, that yeah. is there because it broke before. It's I, I see it a lot of times as the, uh, you know, those, like, uh, those legal warnings? You know, like... Um, <laughs> Contents of box do not actually contain children. You know, it shows like kids in this box. Like, oh, whenever you see some sign and you're like, what in the world? It's usually because something happened. It's a reaction, right? Right. Somebody was like, hey, this box didn't come with kids in it. It shows on the picture of the box. There's, there's kids. And I'm, uh, I'm suing you for up to $1 million. <laughs> yeah. For like false that, advertisement. <laughs> that's got to be a reactive thing, you know? And that's what a lot of our code is. Is like, why is this if wrapped around here? And it's like, that is a shield, basically. Like, you could see it as armor, you know? That's a good point. Um, I think the quintessential example of this was that article by Joel Spolsky. Spolsky? Spolsky. Uh, about Netscape. <clears throat> I, I think the, the general gist of the article was like, don't just rewrite your code. Like when you have an old, crusty, yeah. robust code base, like that's a good thing. And, yeah. And there's this engineer tendency to be like, I'm gonna rewrite it from scratch, and it's gonna be so clean and elegant, and like this crusty pile of mud is gonna go out the door. And it's like, no, wait, that crusty pile of mud actually has a lot of value because it's you know been through the trenches, it's seen all these bugs, like uh, all yeah. of that cruft actually, you know, can be like you're saying, battle hardened. You know, it's almost yeah. like calluses, right? <laughs> calluses, yeah. I was, um, I was like doodling the other day, and I was kind of thinking about games, you know, too much. And I was um, doing these little sketches. I did like a little baby, right? And I'm like, this is your game. And when your game is released to the wild, right? It's like your your baby needs to go explore like these dangerous woods where there's thorn bushes everywhere and wolves and stuff, right? your baby's going to die, <laughs> you know? And, and th- like that's not what's going to be successful in the market. You need to, like, you need to baby-proof the woods, right? You need to put armor on your baby. You need to turn it into, like, an adult, first of all, grow it more, you know, and then put armor all over it. And then my, my final sketch, I was kind of, you know, writing some notes and stuff. I had basically what looked like kind of a Halo uh, character, right? Where it was, like, the big helmet and the visor and covered with armor, and it was on... Um, one of those, uh, I forget what you call them, but the, from Back to the Future, the uh, the whole hoverboards, obviously. Yeah. Uh, it was on a hoverboard, and it was like the Halo character. And I'm like, that's the, where you want your game to be by the time it's ready for the world, right? Even though it starts off as this baby, which is just going to be cut a million times and, and you know, killed. <laughs> like, you want this battle-hardened thing that's going to be able to withstand, like, almost anything gamers will throw at it. Because gamers are going to abuse your game, period. Yeah, I'm like picturing like a barbarian, you know, like an old crusty barbarian. He's got like one eye and like scars (laughs) from battle and his skin's all leathery and... Like that's, yeah, he would be covered with bandages, right? Like that's the kind of game that goes into the world and survives, right? Yes. Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) I think we're stretching this analogy too far. (laughs) But the point is, is that, you know, clean code is great and all, but, you know, oftentimes because of how complicated software is, like once it gets all warty... Uh, it's usually more functional. Yeah. A lot of clean code is naive code, you know? But yeah. Anyway, uh, something I added last night, it was kind of fun. Um, merchants, now when you talk to them, they'll tell you what the items do. Hey, how about that? That oh. was like a request from such a long time ago as people wanted to know what the items did and we thought about like, okay, maybe you press A to buy or anything, but I thought that was kind of a simple fix. Unless you hate it. Sounds like you hate it. Do you hate it? No. You hate it. <laughs> I actually love it. I think it's great. <laughs> Awesome. Um, I, I, th- I find it interesting because I think it was kind of born out of this one specific feedback thread where 
uh, someone was like commenting on the merchant dialogue and the merchants used to say, I only give my, uh, my best customers a discount. Like maybe you should talk to somebody in town. And like <laughs> that person, like that was just a line of text that I think you or I wrote probably you. And, uh, yeah. like you just kind of like, was like, yeah, oh, this is what the merchant should say. But like, we didn't really think that it would give someone the impression that like, oh, there's a way that you can get a discount. I mean, if things have meaning, then it does, right? But that was the problem. It didn't mean anything. It was just this meaningless, I don't know, here's some flavor text, you know? And that's stupid. It, it, should, <laughs> it should, like, it, it, it was aggressively bad, right? Because it, it kind of hinted, ooh, look at this mystery the game doesn't have. You know? <laughs> right. Like, like don't say that. Say, say right. something else. Say, hey, welcome to the shop. Thank you for playing today. I don't know, anything, like, less harmful than that, you know? It was like, I could see someone, ooh, cool, this game has all kinds of mysteries. Apparently, there's a discount you can get. Like, how do I get no. this, this mythical discount? Yeah, so I had to explain to the person, like, I mean, there kind of is a discount, because the more townsfolk you rescue, the, the more starting gold you have, and so everything costs cheaper, you know, but it's that's not a discount, so it is misleading. Um, so yeah, I think it was a combination of things, because for the longest time, people requested to be able to know what the items are, and thinking about it just from that context, you know, I don't know, for whatever reason, it just never occurred to us to think about something as simple as, like, a dialogue. It was always oh man, we're going to have to implement some kind of thing where, you know, you can walk up and um, talk, like interact with the item, I guess, and it would then tell you what it is, and then there's, <clears throat> you could hit like A or B to accept, and like all that UI crap, you know? And it was something else. It was a, like a different issue kind of that someone bubbled up, and it was like, oh hey, I'm going to change that merchant dialogue. And while I'm at it, I've got this thing in the back of my head that like, how long have we been wanting to do something with the items in shops? Like probably <laughs> six months to a year, you know, so this thing came up. <clears throat> so it was kind of like, I, I almost needed two issues to solve one or both, you know? <laughs> Very unexpected. You couldn't just solve one thing at a time. Maybe that's my problem. Like, I always talk about how I like to multitask. You know, I'm almost unhappy if I'm just doing one thing. <laughs> you need to feel the efficiency or something. I do. I do. I need, uh, that's, maybe that's why we like procedural generation so much, you know? Like, I if I sit down and I do one thing, I'm like, that's cool. But, like, I want to have accomplished five things. But that can yes. also be uh, kind of a problem sometimes too. I look at it like the, the ball juggling, right? Yeah. Like I, I'm, let's say I'm always juggling three balls. You know, there's like my marriage, <laughs> my job, um, my taking care of, like keeping my pets from dying. You know, there's various things like that. I like to juggle more and more. And what pro the, the problem that happens is I drop balls. I do like all the time. You know, I, uh, missed my wife's birthday or something you know like like not that bad but like stuff stuff happens you know and um i don't know i, I think that's a that's a bad side effect of my tendency to want to um multitask here's another uh bad tendency that i have <laughs> is to uh architect code in, in such a way that it's like more complicated than it needs to be mm, yeah and so <laughs> yeah thanks <laughs> yes yes you do that yes, yes you do that <laughs> Here's an example that, that got brought up recently with this new batch of bugs is that uh, someone was uh, working on some uh, the merchant murder achievement, right? Yeah. And he was like, I've killed the merchants like three times. I've killed 12 merchants in one run and I'm just, I'm not getting credit. Yeah. And we we're like, okay, that's weird. Like that should be working. And, and other people were responding in the same thread like, no, I've totally done it. Like it's totally fine. Like I, I don't know what you're talking about. Right. Turns out this guy was making use of the totems, which, you know, <laughs> don't do that <laughs> <laughs> but like that's good right it's good that someone was using all the tools at their disposal but there yeah. was a bug with the totems where the 
projectiles spawned by the totem itself didn't have like weren't tagged as the player's id right and so the player wasn't getting credit for those kills like so if like say you had a b totem and the b delivered the final kill to the merchant uh the player wouldn't get credit for that kill and that's terrible. It went for barrels too, right? Like that's such a common thing, especially when you first start playing the game, like in the cemetery. You just you kill so much stuff with the barrels, and I, you weren't getting credit for any of that. Yeah, and uh, it was all because I had this like overly complicated system where, for some reason, when I was writing this code, I decided that I needed to know which entity killed which other entity. You know, hmm. so I had like this setup where when you deliver a killing blow, you know, it passes along the killer uh, ID and then it looks it up and says like, okay, if it's a sword, it looks at the parent and the parent would be the player if the player threw a sword. And that means that the player killed this owl. Right. But like, it doesn't even need to be that complicated. You know, I went back and I, and I thought about it and you and I went back and forth on a couple revisions and talking about some of the situations in the game. And there's too many edge cases, right? Because some of the things we brought up were like, like you just talked about, like, okay, what if the player shoots a sword that hits a barrel, the barrel spawns an explosion, and the explosion kills the owl? <laughs> like, you still want the player to get credit for that. Right. Or, like, say the um, the zombie warlord throws his ball and chain, and it hits a barrel, and it kills, like, a whole slew of zombies. That happens pretty regularly. We're like, well, like, the zombie warlord did it, but the player might have set that up. That's a common thing, too. You want the zombie warlord to get near the barrels, because if you can hit zombie warlord with a barrel, you can shave off a lot of time off your run, you know? Exactly, and, yeah. That yeah. whole situation is set up so that, like, you're supposed to kind of, like, kite him into the barrels so that he kills either the zombies or himself. Yeah. And uh, that you just weren't getting credit for that stuff. I liked the decision we went with and the reason that we made it, which was pretty much, like you know how do you figure that out it's a complicated problem right but it is it, it can be simple when you have a good like mantra or you know if you've got one thing you can fall back on for the reasons to make your decisions right and for us it was what is best for the player right and right. so we were like let's just give everything like all credit goes to the player because we love the player the player should feel empowered and special and awesome and have a great time and so it was like anything that dies that was the player we'll just assume Right. And it's, I think that, you know, it kind of boils down to, in this particular case, air on the side of the player. Yeah, exactly. Like if you're not, it's like kind of like guy, tie goes to the runner yeah. or something. <laughs> I feel like traditionally, especially with our earlier games, like Onslaught, you know, the tie went to, <laughs> it goes to like, screw you player. <laughs> right. Yes. Or like, I guess you could say us or the AI or something, but really it's just, if it's not the player, I feel like that's almost not good design, you know? Right. It's not not great, you know. So like, err on the side of the player. Make err on the side of making the player happy. Put a smile on the player's face, you know. Especially when it's something like sort of trivial. When you're talking about like something like kill credit, yeah. Uh, where it's like, like who you really know, cares? Right. Exactly. Like, well, what is the monster game? Okay, so the zombie warlord killed some zombies. Like, what is that? <laughs> nothing. There's nothing there. Just give it to the player. <laughs> the zombie warlord's museum got some statues. <laughs> <laughs> Especially like in a single player game like this, you know, like it's just, it's objectively better, right? It's a right. better player experience. And like, if you look at the, the, the two sides of the coin, right? Like on one hand you have, okay, the player missed out on credit for a kill uh, that they should have gotten. Like that's really bad. Yeah. And, that, that can ruin your run because like with the merchant run, there's only so many merchants that, that get spawned, right? Right. And then the other side of the coin is that the player got credit for something they didn't actually kill. 
Like, that's not exactly a travesty. No. <laughs> that's kind of fun. Just, that's just fun, right? Like, that happens in some other games uh, where something just dies and you're like, oh, sweet. And you, you get to pick up the treasure, you know, and you might, you know, if it's a role-playing game, you might get experience points, credit for it, you know. It, it feels good. And you're like, oh, cool. It almost feels like a, you know, a ran- random happenstance that fell in your favor. Like Monopoly, bank error in your favor, collect $50. Yeah, and there's already so many things in the game where it feels like, you know, <laughs> random things are going to happen that aren't so much in the player's favor. So any opportunity we have to do that, we jump at. And I think it's just kind of having a different mindset about the game sometimes. I think that you and I sometimes tend to kind of make it more adversarial. Like, you know, we're trying to create this really difficult scenario for the player and like we don't want to give any inches yeah. Right, like pull no punches, whereas we we should probably pull a lot more punches. <laughs> yeah, we were talking about uh, like almost anything that we do these days, we're probably going to uh, err on the side of nerfing as well, because it's pretty clear that like just most of the game's content is locked behind, you know, too thick a door, essentially. Right. Uh, anyways, yeah, it's, it's interesting stuff. And uh, I'm always in favor of scenarios like that where you can basically avoid all this kind of complication, like it's better for the player, it's better for us, it results in fewer bugs because the code is just simpler, right? The right. code is now, something dies, credit the player. Yeah. Done. That Don't have to think about all these complicated scenarios of what entity hit some other entity and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but I really like this uh, this new kind of, like the new blood is great and uh, we've kind of got re-energized and so there's um, some pretty good fixes coming to this update. So I'm, I'm actually pretty excited about that. Me too. News I just saw today was pretty interesting. Um, so Raptor, we've talked a little bit about before. As you may remember, Jeff and I both worked there together. That was actually when we became um, friends really because we had just been acquaintances before. And then you started working at Raptor, both front-end developers, and then for that next year or so, uh, we pretty much were just, like, <laughs> we were doing Raptor things, of course, but, you know, that's when we started doing the stuff like, um, I think it was Tuesday nights, we'd get together in game, uh, make, making, uh, working games, and then Sunday, all day Sunday, we wouldn't necessarily get together, but we would both be like, we treat Sundays like it's our full-time job to make games, right? Yeah. And that's when we started taking it seriously, and we formed the LLC and, and all that stuff. So, like, Raptor has a, you know, a special place in our hearts and uh, also in our wallets, because we both own <laughs> we both own shares. Although we, we're both, you know, uh, we never know what's going to happen with that. Very likely, nothing. <laughs> It'll disappear. Uh, but I mean, there's it's not just um, not just our history there. It's also like you know, I, I really want to see um, what they do with the company. So any every everything they do, I think, is interesting to us. And uh, saw the news just today. They got another fourteen million dollars in funding. Grand total of forty one million dollars in funding for the startup crazy nice they've and, been around uh, since 2007 yeah craziness that's like that's a long time in uh in startup years. land yeah, yeah in, in startup world it's raptor has like a healthy beard you know uh, but i mean look at that like brand new in cash uh yes infusion cash injection infusion, yeah sure. you know, ca- cash infusion is what i was looking for um i think it's really interesting this new product they're working on it's called plays.tv yep and it's basically like kind of a uh an instagram or a vine for like game replays if you will so it's not as much a twitch no okay because i gotta twitch. say the page when i went to it plays.tv i mean part of it might have been the dot tv but it looked to me like my first impression was this looks like twitch but not purple <laughs> just yes. the visuals though you know i didn't dig into what the actual feature set is but it, so it's more like a vine or an instagram 
Yes. And and I think the here's the cool part about it that I think is kind of the killer feature. The killer feature is that it when you're running the plays.tv client, it's auto buffering like the last thirty seconds or a minute of your gameplay, as I understand it. Hmm. And you can like if you're playing a game and some cool thing happens, like you get a crazy good headshot or you just, you know, dropped reavers in someone's base in starcraft and just messed them up or something you know you can say oh man that was a great play i'm going to you know grab that last 30 seconds of buffered video upload it to plays.tv and then share Mm. it with my friends and say like you know look at this crazy thing i just did Uh, which Mm. i think is pretty cool because then it eliminates a lot of the friction and kind of the cognitive overhead of like okay i want to record this and like i have to like time it just right to get it right or something you know you can kind of just do it and then as it occurs when something cool happens you can just share it huh interesting yeah i definitely think that both twitch and youtube both need more competition you know it's like as the internet gets older and older there's kind of this consolidation just like in the real world you know where markets like uh you know oh we're disney we own everything <laughs> you know like we we own the channel you just watched we own the clothes you're wearing like like it's crazy right and that's the kind of same thing we're like you know uh google right they own youtube they own just such a massive chunk of the internet and then twitch is owned by amazon which likewise amazon just owns like they dominate this massive part of the internet and so like any competition that we can <laughs> we can give them is just good for the consumers and the users right that's true. Although, uh, in our specific cases, if Amazon or Google were to buy plays.tv, it would be great for us. Oh yeah, that's true. Because <laughs> so. of the, like, like from a, from a strictly consumer standpoint, or even just, you know, content creators, eh, we don't care. We just want it to be, you know, kind of big so that those services have more competition. But, you know, since we have small numbers of shares that we own, we're like, <laughs> oh, Google, <laughs> look how attractive this is. You should buy it. They really should. They should be like, a billion dollars, just buy it quick. We're like, yes! Full disclosure. Yeah. Right. We get point zero 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 one percent Yeah! Goodbye, pizza. Or maybe three pizzas. <laughs> so so this got uh, us talking a little bit about um, streaming and stuff, and uh, I've actually got a lot of opinions on game dev streaming, especially uh, Twitch TV, actually, not that long ago, made some kind of strides towards developers. There's now, you can say I'm, like, it's kind of weird, because you're playing a game is the most common scenario on Twitch, right? Even though you could be hosting a show or whatever, but uh, Twitch... I think still currently they have this setup where they'll say like, you know, um, Oh, lost decade games is playing a wizard's lizard. Right. And that's just the setup. Like it has to be there. So for a long time, that's been really awkward, but now it'll say like, you know, lost decade games is doing game development is my understanding. Cause you can say like, I'm in this channel, I'm doing, you know, there's like a game development category people can go and look for. And so it helps discovery, it helps organization, you know, and it helps cohesion with what you're actually doing. Like I'm not actually playing a wizard's lizard, right? Like I'm working on it. Um, so that's a step in the right direction towards uh, towards game dev streaming. And you were talking about how uh, you were you were considering it, right? Yeah, well, I've been doing a lot more work uh, on my With Windows Unity. box and Unity. And so kind of for both those reasons, like one, why Windows box is just a lot more powerful and able to stream. Yep. And two, uh, I think Unity is a little more universally interesting uh, yeah. from a game <laughs> development perspective than you know our own internal JavaScript engine. 
I mean, our own, like, gin, you know, it's this proprietary thing that for, you know, lots of reasons we never really open sourced or whatever. So that's not a very interesting thing. It's like, guys, come hang out with me as I work on an engine you cannot access, you know. But if it's, I'm using Unity, it's free. You can go use it right now. There's a billion tutorials, but here is it being used by me in the real world, you know. That's that's pretty compelling. Right. And so, you know, and Unity is one of those things where I think it's pretty easy to use, but there's still a lot of like best practices and stuff that you can pick up from either watching YouTube videos or reading articles or watching someone right. do various things like, you know, oh, today I'm going to make a two-way platform and like here's how that's going to work in Unity or yeah, I'm going to make a rotating hinge joint spike ball trap and here's how that works in Unity. Yeah, and especially with these game development tools, they're so flexible. They can do so much that a lot of times there might be three or infinite ways to actually do something, you know? And you might have seen a tutorial where they did it one way, but you didn't like it because it just didn't, you know, jive with how you like to work, or maybe you just couldn't wrap your head around it for some reason. But then it's explained in a different way. You accomplish the exact same goals just using different tools, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, I get it. Like, it just clicks for you. Right. I've heard that Game Maker is kind of like you need to know how to use it in a certain way, you know? Like if you just jump in and start using it the way they kind of want you to, then you'll jump bump into... I mean, this is... I just put a giant tiger hat on my head because I've, I've never made a game in Game Maker, right? But this is just kind of what I heard. You know, I try to keep my finger on the pulse and all that. And uh, I think it's one of those things you need experience with and things need to be done in a particular way to kind of, you know, get the tool to behave the way you want it to, right? I think that's true of any piece of software. I mean... Yeah. Whether it's Game Maker or Unity or Jin or Photoshop or Excel, every piece of software <laughs> has like little quirks or ways that it wants things done and things that uh, kind of fit its workflow best. Yeah. I think my primary thing with Twitch and streaming in general, especially as pertains to game development, is, uh, you know, we've talked before about how one of the reasons we probably haven't, you know, seen as much growth as a lot of other uh, indie game companies is because we are like we're super niche you know we're niche 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 <laughs> like three niches in one it's like it's not just game development it's not just html5 it's not just action games it's like this really narrow slice of the pie you know and there's a little bit of that with the the game development on twitch you know it's like you you want gamers there's billions of gamers in the world and there's far fewer uh, game developers, so you're going to have a smaller audience. But it does, you know, you having that that niche is is helpful because if you're like, I'm making a game for the world, there's nothing that's going to necessarily pull anybody in, you know. But we are developers, and we are developing, and we could if we can pull other either wannabe developers or developers who also like to play games, like that's the sweet spot, you know. Yeah. But I still feel like it just in general, it just caters to an audience that is not highly optimized, you know, and that. Just that kind of knowledge just doesn't sit right with me somehow. Yeah, we talked about the reasons that we haven't like done mm-hmm. full steam ahead streaming uh, before. I, I think, think the, well, I was gonna say, the like, single think, biggest issue for me is the schedule, I think. Because you, you to in order for your Twitch channel to grow, you need to have a consistent schedule. And I just don't want to put those kind of like handcuffs on myself, you know? Because right. we have completely open schedules, as we were kind of talking about at the beginning of the episode. We kind of, you know, sleep when you're tired. You know, you work when you're inspired and, and, and that's really great. You know, you can kind of like, you can follow your creativity. You can go wherever it takes you, you know, but the moment you put a schedule on yourself, um, and who knows, it might be great for you. Some people, they might be like, no, dude, I need that Tuesday at noon. You know, I, I, I'd stream every Tuesday at noon and then, and I live by it, you know, like, but if I think for us, because we're so kind of <laughs> just sporadic with our schedule, that kind of aspect makes me nervous. 
I think that the the way to approach it for me at least would be to just start like, you know, maybe on Friday afternoons for one hour, I just start streaming and I'm not going to talk. I'm just going to play music. and I'm going to write some Unity code. Yeah. And uh, if anyone wants to watch, that'd be great. <laughs> you You would do it the notch way. Yeah, I think I would. So like he's probably, I would say the most watched just game developer where he's just writing code and not necessarily talking and just listening to music. And uh, he's done that with some, uh, some game jams and stuff. And, you know, he gets like probably tens of thousands of viewers, but again, that's, you know, that's Minecraft. You can't compare that to anything basically in the world. Um, but that's, that's interesting because I think that that's, that's the way that you've been picturing that you would do it. And, you know, I've got a new Windows machine myself, and so the streaming is more um, of an option to me these days. And so I've also been kind of, uh, you know, it just jumps around in your head. I'm thinking maybe I could stream or something. And for me, I was picturing more like very um, interactive, you know, talking to people. Um, hopefully, eventually I could get like, a, you know, you get the picture of yourself, you know, you get your little in the corner, little camera on yourself with a microphone on your face and because there's something about that that's very humanizing you know you look at a screen full of source code and uh that's great i do have that part of me where i just love the tech and stuff you know but there's there's definitely that human element you know you're watching someone work and uh when you can put a, a face to the work and a face to the name and stuff it's um i think it's just more compelling pulls people in more yeah i i, I would definitely agree with that but it is like harder, right? And it can make you nervous. You could be like, I haven't showered today. <laughs> You'd be like, I don't know what to say. So like, if that's the thing holding you back, you know, if you're like, I don't have a camera, so I'm not going to do it. Or, you know, I just don't feel like talking, so I'm not going to do it. Like, I, I do think that probably just doing it maybe has more value than, you know, letting these things I'm talking about either get in your way or derail you. I think it's uh, the difference between starting small and trying to bite off, you know, the whole thing right up at once right it's like premature optimization a little bit yeah because it's like what's the what's the mvp for streaming it's yeah. you with no audio writing code broadcasting your screen to an audience with no interaction yeah <laughs> like that's the bare minimum you need to call it a game dev stream and you could do that like now right you could do that like when we're done with the podcast you could be like okay i'm streaming now i hit mvp here we go and, and then, all the optimization stuff comes later you know, you could slowly work in like, okay, now I start to respond to people in chat. Or, you know, this ne next thing is I play some music and I pipe that over the stream so people can hear what I'm listening to for whatever yeah. reason. And then I start interacting with people in chat. And then I start putting the webcam on myself. And then I start talking into the webcam as I'm like doing, you know, explaining, okay, I'm going to put a 2D hinge joint here and then I'm going to attach it to this entity and la la la. Yeah. Yeah, I get decision... Uh, decision paralysis too, because I I want us to have a bigger YouTube presence, and I also want us to have uh, a Twitch presence. But I, I just they they have so many pros and cons. You know, it's I, it's like I'm just as split as, as Mac and Windows. You know, where I love them both, and one one is great for one thing, the other is great for another thing. But like my problem with it is, uh, because of that paralysis, I just end up kind of doing nothing most <laughs> of the time. I mean, not nothing, but I don't do that. Right. Yeah. Don't do video stuff. Yeah, I definitely think that uh, there's value in just jumping into something at the base level. And just, it's kind of like game development, right? Like, we would never tell someone, okay, here's what you, you got to do to start doing game dev. Like, first, you need to have all these high-quality art assets, and you need to have this, like, extremely detailed game design document, and you need to have this great, you know, background music. It's like, no, 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 no. You don't need any of that. <laughs> yeah. You just... 
you know, open up your web browser, create a canvas element and start putting things down. And like, it may not be the most compelling end result, but it's the first step. Yeah. Man, I, I think about this a lot, uh, as pertains to, um, art. Cause I've been watching a lot of art videos and learning about that stuff. And, uh, there's so much like infrastructure and stuff that, uh, that kind of matters. Like it matters where your skill set is at, you know, like where you are, like what is your MVP for just, you know, drawing some crap? You know what I mean? And like, uh, I talked to my, uh, my tattoo artist uh, a lot cause he's uh, an artist I really respect and he's just like, you know, years and years past me. So I, I like to pick his brain and stuff. And, um, he doesn't use perspective lines because he doesn't need them. He's past that. You know what I mean? But I need all the tooling I can get. I need perspective lines. Cause like I'm <laughs> perspective is hard. And I just, I just don't have the skill or experience yet to just be like, yeah, I got this. No problem. I can just imagine the perspective. line. You know what I mean? Right. And so like to him, he's like, no perspective lines for suckers. You can move faster than that. And for me, I'm like, oh God, you need, no, you need them. <laughs> it's like the, like the balloons uh, that they put in uh, the lanes when you're bowling. Right. So you can't you can't possibly miss, you know what I mean? Like I need all the all the infrastructure that I can get. But it's the training wheels. It's the training wheels. Yeah, I do. I I need that stuff and uh I think it depends a lot like where you are in your and uh, whatever it is that you're trying to do, you know, like context is everything, right? It's but hard. It's a, uh, you know, it all kind of, kind of comes down to experience and expertise, right? The better you get with something, the less you need the the scaffolding. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, I know that we've come up with some plateaus in our game development, you know, like we're just better at some things. And like, I think confidence is a big part of it, you know, like now that we've made a game and put it into the market and it's actually not, you know, just sunk like the Titanic or anything. Um, <laughs> I've got so much more confidence that even with something we haven't used, you know, like Unity, I've got just lots of confidence. We can jump in and start to be productive and uh, it's not that scary anymore, you know? And I think that's true for almost anything. Probably true for uh, streaming too, you know? Yeah. I think we've just done it so little that uh, we just, we don't have that kind of confidence yet. Yeah. We were also doing this relatively recently. We talked a little bit about um, marketing promotion on the podcast and uh, we had kind of thrown too big of a net, you know, kind of like we did when we were putting a wizard lizard on sale every, every market we could find that didn't turn out to be lucrative. Um, and we had a, you know, a Pinterest, a Flickr, a Tumblr, Facebook, obviously, you know, Twitter, YouTube, that kind of stuff. And it was too much and none of it was really being all that, um, all that great. So we did the same kind of thing that we do with the game development, game design, cut it, you know, if it's not being successful for you and it hasn't been, if there are things that are working, right, then focus on those. So we kind of doubled down. We're like, okay, we're not going to work on the Tumblr anymore. We're going to let the Flickr account die. Like, now we've got our kind of our primary three, right? It's like Twitter, YouTube, and the podcast. And even YouTube is like a distant third. Yeah, we kind of let that... Uh, I think it's because we had some game content, you know, we were kind of working on prototypes and stuff, and we've been um, we've been in pre-production for a long time, so like we're not ready to show anything yet. Um, but we need to get back into that. Like We need to just start playing a Wizard Lizard every week and just making Let's Plays, because I think that people would still, uh, you know, people who want to follow us on YouTube and want to see what we're making and what we're up to, that's, there's still a lot of value there, you know? Totally. I think we're going to do one this week, actually, because uh, as part of the kind of bug fix and content tweaking release, uh, you made a challenge mode. I did. This is your first challenge mode. It is, which so. means it's probably really bad. <laughs> <laughs> first time I do anything. Yes. Well, I'm excited to try it uh, on stream later this week. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um We'll definitely have a YouTube video and we'll see uh, where that goes. And like, uh, it's the same kind of thing with YouTube and, and with the podcast, you know, like the pod te- podcast started to grow a lot more when we had that weekly schedule, you know, because then when people know when to look for it, they know when it's coming out. And so I think we want to do the same thing with YouTube eventually where it's like, 
you're going to get a new Let's Play or, you know, something. You're going to get a new video from us every Thursday or something. Just something consistent so that people can latch onto it instead of like, yeah, Lost Decade on YouTube. Sure. Like they had a video last month. I'm really excited. <laughs> you know, you need something to hold it, hold on to. Like, oh, yeah, I got Thursdays in my grip. I'll be there. But, uh, you know, like anything else, it takes a while to, to ramp up to it because, you know, yeah. if you remember when we started the podcast, it was like, There'll be an episode every so sometimes. <laughs> Welcome to Occasional Cast. That's right. Remember me? I'm Matt. Talked to you last month or something. <laughs> last year on Lost Cast, we <laughs> talked about uh, how to draw a pixel to an HTML5 canvas. Here we go. <laughs> That's right. Um, but yeah, we've been in pre-production for a while, and uh, it's funny because like this wasn't necessarily what we planned. It was just like necessary. You know, the work that we were doing, it needed more exploration and um we're at the point now where it's like we almost uh we feel like it's been too long like we need to share what this project is with our our secret secret confidants our, our lost cast listeners you know like you're, you're the ones that we tell uh we tell stuff to first and we uh oh, usually are, are unless deepest, it's humble darkest secret <laughs> <laughs> yeah no we do we're like we absolutely do we say things here that we would never tweet you know what i mean we say things here that we're not going to put on our blog you know and uh, so this is the area where we're kind of like, okay, we'll tell you. We'll be straight up. This is what we're working on. Um, I think astute listeners probably have some clues. You probably know what's up. But uh, we're not quite ready yet to start promoting that heavily. Uh, but once we are, though, I think once we have, like, you know, especially a prototype and some promo art and, like, a you know, a, a place to point people, right? Like a call to action. Um, then we will start hitting it really hard. We'll start talking about it a lot. And then um, we'll be able to make more video content i think because we'll actually have like you know a video game (laughs) with which to play and show progress on and to demonstrate uh week by week it will come out of the woodwork yes as we (laughs) exactly (laughs) i think that's all we've got this week uh as always thanks for listening check us out on the web at forum.lostdeckedgames.com We're going to play you out with the original Turtle Dance. There have been many since then, and they're all amazing. But this is the one, the uh, the OG that started it all. So uh, hope you enjoy it. Thanks a lot for listening. Ship it.
I wasn't ready. Were you not recording? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, define define ready. Uh, not ready. You're like you're like awake. <laughs> <laughs> Presence. I thought it was a roll call.